You know, if you want to have children in your marriage and you haven't been able to, would you just stand up? I just reminded me when we were praying for them because I have a real anointing for this. <laughs> I'm serious. Be fruitful and multiply is a key verse for me. <laughs> I, I, if you, have, you want to have children, you've been unable to, even if you're physically unable to, like the doctor said, your stuff doesn't working. <laughs> stand up. I'm going to pray for you. Okay. And at home, those that are watching you by uh, iBethel TV, just, just connect with us too in over, overflow rooms. And um, just extend your hands towards these folks right here. We're just going to pray for them. Hmm. You know, the very first command in the Bible to mankind was be fruitful and multiply. And so this is, this is, this is right at the core of who we are in God. So Lord, we just release that to them right now. We pray for their womb to open up. We pray for what, if there's any kind of physical problems that you would heal them in the name of Jesus. And I pray that there would be even be impossible children born. As Sarah was past menopause when she had Isaac, that Lord, that you would do the miraculous in the lives of these people who are connecting by Bethel TV, who are standing here tonight in the name of Jesus. And they would trace it back to the people of God releasing life and the, and the ability to reproduce in, in them. In Jesus' name, they trace it back to this night when Jesus did a wonderful thing in them. Amen. Thank you. I would like to say you still need to, like, co-labor. Did I do good there? Co-labor was good. No, <laughs> and, and grab a hand, and we're going to pray for the message that we want to make sure it's not a mess age, <laughs> a mess for an age. Lord, we do pray for revelation. Open up our, our eyes in Jesus' name. We, we just release that, that, that element that helps us to see things that were formerly a mystery and understand them. God, we pray for a spirit of wisdom and revelation to be honest tonight as we interact in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, yeah, I, I feel um, really compelled tonight. Sometimes when, you know, when we share, we, we, we have different things God's called us to do. I, I had a message. I've kind of actually been working on it all week, which isn't typical for me really, but um, to work on a message all week. I've just kind of been writing in my journal all week. And, and then um, Friday night, I had a dream. And in the dream, I was standing in front of you at, in, in this sanctuary, and I was teaching on moral evolution. And I felt the Lord, when I woke up, uh, I, can't, I didn't hear an audible voice or anything, but I felt the Lord say that I, I want you to incite a moral revolution in your, in your own church again. And so I want to talk a little bit about, um, some about morality. This is, um, you might want to buckle up a little bit, but this will be the, this will be the uh, mild version of it, because you didn't know you were coming to a moral revolution tonight. So um, I want to turn to Malachi chapter uh, 4 for just a minute. I, I just want to read this verse. Behold, I'm, sending, I'm going to send you Elijah the prophet, before the coming of the great and terrible day of the Lord. And he will restore the hearts of fathers 
to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers so that I might not come and smite the land with the curse. Um, two things. In the last day, I'll send Elijah the prophet and he'll restore the hearts of fathers to sons and hearts of sons to fathers or hearts to uh, fathers to children hearts of children to fathers. Um, you know, I, I do think that First of all, I want to say that I think the prophetic move, I think that the mantle that's on the prophets right now is for the restoration of family and the health of, of society. I, I, I feel so strongly that, you know, it, in other words, what I'm getting at is sometimes we see the prophets and we're like, they're prophesying, you know, these great things and about nations, and, and all of that's good, and, and we, we all want to see that. But I do think that one of the primary roles of the prophetic movement is the restoration of family. Yes. I think when we start, when, when we, I notice that there's an anointing that comes on my own life when, I, when I'm speaking, it, whether it's here or at conferences, and I start to talk about the subject of the restoration of family, or fathers and children are instructing children, and I noticed that Bill just came out with a, uh, a new book about... Um, uh, parenting. I'm sorry. I, I saw it on the Facebook. Um, uh, I did. I'm, I've been gone so much. We, you know, this is where we see each other on Facebook. We connect. I'm like, hey, how are you? I'm good. No, it's more like this. You're awesome. How am I? That's how prophetic people interact. Um, so anyway, so I, I feel like that this, um, that it's, you know, prophecy is important and, 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 you know, knowing the future and calling things that are not is, is important. But I feel like there's another role for the prophets and the prophetic movement, and that is the restoration of the very core values of family. And um, I, I, I wrote a book, I'm, I'm going to give it away. Um, I'm actually doing a signing next week. You can buy it out there because we have a booth out there for more revolution. Um, this is called Fashion Terrain. I, I want to just tell you a little thing that happened and kind of propelled some of this. Um, so I dedicated the book to my mom, uh, my wife, of course, my uh, granddaughters, and uh, my daughters. And so my daughter-in-law, Lauren, who works here my, and is the wife of my son, Jason, they were over this weekend, and I had a copy signed for Lauren and, uh, and circled where I had her name in here. And then I had, uh, and, and Riley, her daughter, Jason's daughter, was over also, and I had a separate copy for her, and I had already signed it for her and, and you know, and uh, dog-eared the page and, uh, and highlighted where I mentioned her in the book. So I gave them both a copy and oh, they, oh, thank you, Dad, and you know everything was cool. And, and so, uh, so as Lauren was leaving, she had Riley by the hand, and Riley's uh, almost twelve. And so they were leaving, and then they and they turned, and as they were leaving, they said, "Hey, Dad, we, um, Riley and I are reading a book together every month. And so this this month we'll we'll read this book first. So I thought that was really cool. And so about. Um, it was the next day, um, I get a text. I want to read you this text. Dad, Riley and I just read the first chapter of your book, and I teared up a couple of times. Such a good and powerful storytelling. 
We love it so far. Riley said, wow, Papa, that's a lot of information. <laughs> when she read about Adam and Eve realizing they were naked and having babies, <laughs> she says, I told her it was educational reading, <laughs> LOL. It was hilarious. But really, it's, it's an incredible book. We are loving it. And I really feel like something in Riley's spirit is really going to come alive and res- resonate inside of her as we read. How awesome are our girls to grow up in these truths. Love you, Lauren. Um, <laughs> sorry. That messes me up. Beth, you want to give a couple of these away? Make sure we give one to the overflow room. Um, I got that. Uh, I'm sorry. Take me a minute to just gather my thoughts. I... I got that text message when I was laying in bed at night that night and I was just kind of laying there thinking that in fact I'll just, I'll just I wrote this down I thought about how important it is that our children's value system is etched is being is etched into their hearts proactively as we teach them the ways of God I sat there imagining imagining Riley at 25 years old facing the world through the eyes of the book I wrote. I reassured myself that Riley will never allow any man to reduce her or steal her dreams because she was exposed to the truth about God's attitude towards women. She will remember from the book that Jesus is the one who incited the first woman's liberation movement. And I, sorry. I just began to think about how important it is for our children to grow up knowing the truth about what God thinks about social issues, about what God thinks about sex, about what God thinks about women. And I just was laying in bed, and I, I have a pretty good imagination, as you, as you know. And I was just thinking about Riley, and, I just, and she's got a really strong personality, and I was thinking about her dreaming, and instead of dreaming inside this little box called religion, that now she reads this book when she's 11, 12 years old, and she begins to realize that Jesus is empowering women just like he's empowering men. And she begins to dream big dreams, and maybe, maybe because her papa had a little piece of that. Maybe because, because her mom read to her a book when she was young. Maybe, her, maybe she becomes somebody even different than she would have been because God said to her, go girl, dream big. Don't let anybody reduce your dreams. And, uh, and, the, and I, if you'll turn to Proverbs chapter uh, 6, hopefully I'll get out of this mode in a minute. Proverbs chapter 6, I, I want to read you um, just a little bit about um, Solomon and the way he was raised. Um, when Bill came to Mount Chapel years ago, he used to read Proverbs every day. I, I think you were reading them every day then, and it, it kind of got me in a habit. And, and we, uh, we read, I read Proverbs every day for probably 10 years. And then when my children got old enough to read, uh, and when they got to be teenagers, they had to read a proverb before they could go out anywhere. <laughs> and <laughs> uh, Yeah, it was awesome. Sometimes we'd have to read 10 of them. 
because they haven't read for 10 days. <laughs> but, um, but Proverbs is such a great instruction for just everyday life. But let me just read you a piece that really touched me tonight. Proverbs 6.20, My son, observe the commandment of your father and do not forsake the teaching of your mother. Bind them continually on your heart. Tie them around your neck. When you walk about, they will guide you. And when you sleep, they will watch over you. And when you awake, they will talk to you. For the commandment is a lamp. I'm so sorry. (laughs) For the commandment is a lamp, and the teaching is light, and reproofs for discipline are the way of life. To keep you from evil women. This is them talking to their son, of course. Obviously, if they were writing to their daughter, that this message would be a little different, of course. To keep you from an evil woman, from the smooth tongue of an adulteress. Do not desire her beauty in your heart. Do not let her captivate you with her eyelids. For on account of a harlot, one is reduced to a loaf of bread. An adulteress hunts for precious life. Can a man take fire in his bosom and his clothes not be burned? Or can a man walk on hot coals and his feet not be scorched? So is the one who goes into his his neighbor's wife. Whoever touches her will not go unpunished. Men do not despise the thief if he steals to satisfy himself when he's hungry. But when he is found, he must repay sevenfold. He must give all the substance of his house. The one who commits adultery with a woman is lacking sense. He who would destroy himself does it. Wounds and disgrace he will find, and his reproach will not be blotted out. For jealousy enrages the man, and he will not spare him in the day of vengeance. He will not accept any ransom, nor will he be satisfied, though you give him many gifts. This is is practical teaching that Solomon said, My mom and my dad taught me this. Can you imagine? First of all, this is kind of cool because God told David that your son Solomon shall be king in your place. So Proverbs is the homeschool textbook of Solomon's life. And you'll notice that there are statements like this all through the book of Proverbs. When you sit at the table of a king, not if... In other words, they knew that they were, do you understand, that they knew that they were training Solomon to be king. So they taught him, when you sit at the table of a king, this is how to behave. Hold a knife to your throat. If you're a man of great appetite, do not desire his delicacies, for they are deceptive. And these are the things that, that Solomon's taught from a young age. And he was, what I'm getting at is, isn't it amazing that he was raised to be a prince? But his parents didn't just teach him about sitting at the table of kings. They taught him about managing his sexuality, managing his sex drive, watching over the way he thought, watching over his heart. And it wasn't just his father who took him out on a a walk and had the talk with him. It was his mother who raised him from a little child to understand how how to manage his sexuality. The unfortunate thing about Solomon, as we all know, is that Solomon had a huge fall. He didn't listen to his mother's instruction. He didn't listen to his father's teaching. And he ended up doing the exact opposite of what they said 
and the, the, the fall of, of, uh, of his later days were, was great. But the point is, is that his parents trained him in the way of the Lord. I am really concerned that we are, you know, it feels to me like Christianity reacts to immorality instead of responds to God's passion. Like, like I, I, maybe this is too uh, radical, uh, and I, I tend to do this at times just to wake people up, but is it possible that we're supposed to be the light in, of the world, and that means that we bring revelation, isn't, right? I mean, we all have. Like, our PG&E bill isn't less than unbelievers, right? <laughs> so, I mean, I mean, we're not, when God says you're the light of the world, he's not talking about, it. are you with me? I'm simply trying to say that is not light revelation, and is not salt preservation. Are we not light and salt to the world? So do we not tell the world what God thinks about subjects? And what I'm getting at is, is it, is it possible that having not represented God in sexuality, that much perversion has come because people do not even know what God thinks about sex because everybody else is teaching them because we are not. I um, wrote a book, and I'll, I'll just do this for you. I wrote this book called Moral Revolution. This is many years ago. It, 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 it is a good book. Uh, there's other really good books on morality. I, I don't know if it's the best, but it, this came out of my heart. But I want to just tell you a little bit about how it happened. Um, I was doing a youth group. We had uh, I'm in Lewiston, California, which is, a, which is a town of 900 people. That's pretty small, right? And the probation department, I knew the probation department, the head of the probation department, and they where they, in Lewiston was kind of the armpit of Trinity County and it's where a lot of the uh, juvenile offenders were. So they got all the parents of the, of the kids who were on probation, juveniles who were on probation together, and they said, we're going to do a parenting class for you, kind of like what Danny does, for, for 60 days, and your kids will either go to juvenile hall or you'll come to the class. And so the parents said, okay, well, we'll come to the class. And so they said to me, we're doing this thing with, with, the, with the parents for 60 days. Would you do something with, for, with the kids for 60 days? And we will order them to your youth group. But, but you can't preach Jesus to them. But you can teach them life skills. I'm like, that's cool. Well, anyway, I did that twice a week, which was supposed to be for two months, and I ended up there for five years. And I started out with 37 kids, and I ended up with over 100 kids a night for five years. Well, the very first night, I'm really nervous. I'm driving to the, they gave me this gym to use, which hadn't been used in years. I don't know how long. They built the gym for the building of the dam, of the uh, Trinity Dam. And, uh, and they hadn't used it for years and years. In fact, I swept it out. There was probably mm, a quarter inch of dirt in it. I swept it out, and we shoveled the dirt out of it. That's how long it hadn't been used. It was just this old metal gym with a, with a uh, concrete floor, and it had basketball, four basketball courts in it, and we did basketball and made a volleyball court out of one of it and one of the courts and made a bas you know, bas played basketball and volleyball, and then we had a halftime. So this is at half, so I, I'm on my way there. It's about 15-minute drive to, to, uh, to the, um, to Lewiston. I'm sorry, I'm very distracted. I'm trying to just push through an emotion that I, 
I'm sure you know what I'm talking about. Um, so this doesn't feel like it's going to be smooth, but I'm driving to uh, Lewiston, and on the way there, I have this encounter with God. And I'm trying to, and I'm trying to think about what I can teach, because I, I was a youth pastor for nine years. I was our youth pastor for nine years, so everything I know has Jesus on it. <laughs> you know, and I've been instructed, like, you can do this, but you can't say Jesus. And I'm like, well, everything I know comes kind of back, like, maybe can I say Jay or... The big guy upstairs, you know, I'm just trying to like figure out like how I'm going to take messages I've been preaching for nine years and like not say Jesus because all my messages lead back to Jesus, you know, as every youth pastor in the room knows, like he is the answer. So I'm like, I have to hide him somewhere so he can pop out. <laughs> and I'm also, and I'm really, really nervous and I won't tell you the symptoms I'm having, but my stomach is not holding food. I have to stop on a 15-minute drive, and I'm literally shaking. And these are probation kids, and I I work with Christian kids, so, you know, who actually I figured out probation kids are easier. (laughs) So so if you can imagine, we're in this, uh, it's summertime, we're in this big, huge, huge gym. It's probably, maybe the size, about the size and there's uh, picnic benches that I put it along the edges so we have some place to sit. And so at, at halftime, I go, okay, it's halftime. We're going to, and Kathy made cookies and, and, you know, junk food so they would stop. And so they were like, oh, how long are we going to do this? And, you know, da, da, da. And they were ordered to be there. So they're, they're not, like, happy about being there that first month, first, especially the first few, uh, first few days. So, we, you know, I got them on these picnic benches inside, and I am so nervous. And I'm, you know, and on the, but on the way there, the Lord gave me this story about sex. And I'm like, every kid cares about sex if you're a teenager. So I'm like, this will be a universal language. So I start, so, and, I get, and I get this story, which is, and I don't want to give it away, it's the first chapter of this book. It's called The Ring. I get it in 20 seconds on the road in a picture. So I'm like, okay, well, I know. thank you, Jesus. At least I know what I'm supposed to talk about. So I start telling the story, and the story is about a ring that this guy works for his whole life, his, his whole high school, and then he fights for it. And, and, and in the Vietnam War, he fights to keep this ring, and that's, I don't want to give the whole story away. But then he meets the woman of his dreams, and, and, and this whole story takes about 25 minutes to tell. And so at first, the first 10 minutes, they're sitting on this bench, and they're like, how long, how long is this going to take? Do we effing have to listen to this? And that's exactly what's happening. And you can imagine, I already have a lot of anxiety, so I'm trying to act totally confident, like, hey, man, just be quiet, just shut up, eat your cookies. <laughs> can I go? You know, and in like five minutes in the story, like, this is a stupid story. No, that's totally what's happening. So I'm like, I'm like, and I feel the Holy Spirit like say, just press through. It's going to be fine. So I get deeper into the story, and they get connected to the story. And everybody's really quiet. And at the end of the story, and, and I'm telling them about this ring, and I got this long story about this ring. This guy buys this ring. costs $10,000. He works his whole life for it. Da-da-da. And he, you know, he keeps seeing the woman of his dreams in a diamond. Da-da-da. And then, you know, he fights to keep this ring in, in Vietnam. That's part of the story. And he meets the woman of his dreams. And, and it goes through this whole story. And at the end, uh, he gives the ring to the woman of his dreams on his honeymoon night 
in uh, the cottage where they're going to consummate the marriage. And, and the next morning she loses it on the beach. You can hear a pin drop in there. Everybody is completely quiet. And then I say, and that ring is your virginity. And the reason why you have a sex drive years before God wants you to have sex is because the value of your virginity is in the blood, sweat, and tears it takes to get the ring from the battlefield all the way to the honeymoon suite. So on the night you lay with your lover, you have something to give him you had to fight to keep. Because anyone can give away something expensive, but only people that understand sacrifice can give away something valuable. I said to him, it's totally quiet. And, and, and uh, you know, and um, it's one of those moments like, you know, we've had those moments. You have them in church. You have, it's like, it was one of those moments. Like, the, the atmosphere shouldn't have been that, but it's one of those moments. And everybody has their, I don't tell them, you know, bow your head. They have their head down. And I'm thinking, okay, what should, you know, it's one of, what should I do next moments? Okay, what should I do? I can't pray, because I've been told, don't pray. And there's a, there's a t- particular girl and a particular guy that were obviously the very first night leaders. The guy was in three fights the first night. I pulled him off of three guys. And everybody was afraid of him. So I knew he was the ringleader of my 37 kids. And there was a girl who was uh, very um, promiscuous. And uh, the girls, I could tell the girls really feared her. So she's sitting in the front, he's sitting in the back, and he's the one... At the beginning, like, how long is this going to take? I'm effing. I made this come here. I don't know. He's totally quiet. I look, I look over at her, and I'm, 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 you know, I could feel the presence of God so strong. My anxiety goes away, and 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 there's a puddle of tears forming on the floor below all the picnic benches. A puddle of tears. Now they are trying to not openly cry, right? These are tough kids, and they're. And the girl in the front row says this. I'll never forget it. She says, no one effing ever told me this. That's what she said. She shouted, this is the tough girl. No one effing ever told me this. She said in tears. And the kid in the back said, no one effing ever told me either. About sex. About why you should keep your virginity. About why you should fight for it. That it wasn't about not getting a disease. It wasn't just about like, you know, it wasn't about the don'ts. It was about getting your trophy to the person of your dreams and having given them something that you actually fought for because everybody wants it, but you are saving it for the woman of your dreams, for the man of your dreams. And they're sitting there and now, when those two guys say that, of course, they're the ringleaders. So everybody loosens up. And they're like, and you can hear like, yeah, oh, man, why didn't someone tell us that? Man, we've been, someone screwed us, man. No one told us. And they're saying that. This is what they're saying. Th- these are not Christians. No one told us about sexuality. And I'm sitting there, and I'm like, okay. I just created a problem with no answer. <laughs> right? And I am concerned about this because I believe that some people have conviction of sin before they have. Con- some people are convicted of sin before they're convinced of a savior. 
and they end up having pro they end up knowing a problem without having a solution, and that leads to depression, suicide, and everything else. So I am concerned that we need to make sure they're convinced of a savior before they're convicted of sin. And I understand it can happen both ways. And I'm, I'm please, I'm trying not I'm not making a theological statement. I'm just simply saying at the second they need that they're convicted of sin, they need to know there's an answer. That's all I'm trying to say. So if it sounds like I'm saying anything else, I am not. And so. So, I, so I'm, I'm sitting there, and I said to them, Okay, everybody bow your head. <laughs> okay, how am I going to not pray? Okay, bow your head. If you lost your virginity already, raise your hand. But keep your eyes closed. I mean, I've got 10-year-old kids in there. Raising their hands. <laughs> it broke my heart. I'm like, oh my God, who would even think of teaching sex to... A 10-year-old. I don't get hit puberty yet. I mean, I'm broken heart. Like, this is ridiculous. And I said, okay, well, you know what? There's a big guy upstairs that can restore you. <laughs> and this is what I want you to do. If you want him to restore you, I want you to just ask him right now. Just say, hey, big guy. I really screwed up my life and I lost my virginity and I'd like you to give it back to me. Now the girl looks up like, you know, like, hey, I'm no genius, but this doesn't seem possible. And so right there they did that and I said, that's all you needed to do right there. And from there on, you can just walk it out. She's, one of them, this is later on, she comes up to me, and I think it was actually a couple meetings later, she says, and does that mean I was a virgin, like I did that thing? I'm like, yep, you're a virgin. You repented, and God made you like new. She said, well, that's cool. <laughs> so then the next, what I did for the next two months is taught them how to manage their appetite. And then, like, can you, like, you know, always the first five minutes, they're like, is this going to take forever? And when, after we got past five minutes, every night, they're like, whoa, dude, thought's amazing. And I ended up there with them for five years. And, and what, I, what I've found, first of all, I, I, what I've found is this, is that most people don't actually know what they're doing when it comes to teaching young people. You know, when we, you know what we teach young people? We, we teach our children. We teach them that, see, this is what I believe. I believe when God said be fruitful and multiply, he gave you a sex drive. How many, how many of you would agree with that? Where did the rest of you get yours from? <laughs> what, what do you think it means to have a sex drive? I think it means you want to have sex with somebody. This is my own definition, but I don't think the goal, listen, here, here we go. I don't think the goal is to get rid of your sex drive. It's to learn to manage your appetite. And by the way, young people, when you get married, you will have to still take those skills that you learned as a single person to manage your appetite, and you will have to manage it towards one person, one woman, one man. Are you following me? And I believe that the world perverts sex, but religion shames it. 
but the kingdom celebrates it. And I think that we, I think that we personally are ashamed of sex, and I think that we hide um, intimacy under big words, and we're okay with it. Like we go, and Abraham was circumcised. Circumcised. We're like, oh, that's cool. You can say that in church. You know what circumcision means? See, don't say. See, we could use really big words, and we're like comfortable, and everybody's fine. As soon as, if I was to tell you what it meant, people would have their Bibles up like this. And, and I don't know how we're going to teach our children about sexuality and create a healthy... See, we end up with a talk instead of a healthy sexual culture, because we think we actually... We, 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 we wouldn't agree with the statement that sex is shameful, but we, but we keep it under, in the shadows, and we wonder why it's, growing mold, and why it's growing mold all over the world. And we're the lie of the world. We should be telling people, God created sex, it's amazing. And when you get married, you should do it a lot. It's God's idea. He said be fruitful and multiply. You could practice in between, like multiplying. It's awesome. But I think that most people, I think that most people are, were raised in a culture like I was. I wasn't raised as a Christian, but even as a non-Christian, well, you know, my dad drowned when I was three. My stepfather didn't want anything to do with teaching me about sex. My mother handed me a book. You know, she said, Here, here's a book. And it was, it was a book written by a doctor. <laughs> I mean, with wor I couldn't hardly read. And it had, the only thing I saw was the pictures. I'm like, oh. Is that pornography? <laughs> you know, they were drawings, you know. And my mom goes, if you have any questions, ask me. And I'm like, okay, that's cool. And then she disappeared for a week. <laughs> and she gave it to me when I was 16. 16, I mean, hello. I'm like, she's serious? <laughs> Come on. I mean, you know, I knew this stuff when I was 10. Come on, you know? And, but, you know, in Jewish culture, that's right, I'm just going to talk to you like this, okay? So, whatever. Do you know in Jewish culture, they didn't have a talk? You know, you know the talk? Do you know what I mean by the talk? The talk is like, you know, I remember when we had the talk with our three kids. Like, Jamie's our oldest biological child. And she comes downstairs one day, and she's, she's got all of her equipment. <laughs> like, just happened overnight. She went to bed, a little girl, and she woke up a woman. I'm like, oh my, Lord, have mercy. We need to have a conversation with this girl. <laughs> so I said to Kathy, you know, have you? She's like, yeah. I said, you need to talk to her. She said, oh, no, no, you're better at this is what you do for a living. You're going to, I'm like, no, no, it's not what I do for a living. I work on cars. <laughs> so we decided that we would get this over with, like, with all three kids at once. <laughs> so we got them all in the room, and Kathy's, Kathy's, okay, will you talk to them? I said, oh, no, 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 we're doing this together. You're coming with me. She's all, yeah. I said, okay, I'll do the talking but you're going to be in the room with me. She said, okay, so the three kids are sitting on the couch. I scoot the table back, you know, the coffee table. I'm sitting on the coffee table, and Kathy's sitting in the recliner. So I'm telling them about, you know, the birds and the bees and, like, just really biological terms and, you know. 
And, and um, we live in the woods, so, you know, they've seen, they've seen animals reproduce, and so I'm telling them about that, and it's going well. Do you ever have this feeling it's going too well? So we're going along 15 minutes, and Jason's like, he's probably, I don't know, he's got to be like 10, 11, 10 probably, and he's just like, when do I get to shoot my gun? And Shannon, she's, uh, she would be like 11 and a half or 12. Jamie would be about 13 or 14, probably 14. So, so Shannon's kind of like, I'm not following you. Jay could care less whatever I said. And Jamie's looking at me like, Dad's trying to tell something, but I, I don't actually know what it is. <laughs> and Kathy has this big pillow on her lap. And so I'm thinking, this is going way too well like this doesn't because you know they're all like oh this is fine you know so then I think well I need to tell them exactly how intercourse happens in humans so so I I you know and I'm not gonna do it here for obvious reasons but but I but I I start to describe how intercourse happens. Kathy takes the pillow, puts it up over her head. Jason runs out and goes, sick! <laughs> Shannon runs out the other way, upstairs. Oh, that's so gross! So too, Kathy takes the pillow, she has it over her head, then she gets up off the chair, she runs with the pillow covering her head into the bedroom, and I'm left here sitting with Jamie. And Jamie goes, that is cool. Now that is cool. So, you know, she had questions, and then of course, that <laughs> for another year, you know, every time Jamie had a question at the dinner table, because I said, you know, we're just going to, like, be open, and if you have questions, you just ask whenever you feel like it. And Jamie asked, every time Jamie would ask a question, like, at the dinner table, Jason would run off the show and take up upstairs, and Kathy would be like, got to check on the turkey. We're not having turkey. And so it just took time for us to get comfortable with like, hey, you know what? You know what's happening? When, we, when we're uncomfortable, we say, this is shameful. So when, we, when we, we will say, well, this is your arm, this is your hand, but we don't use the word penis with the little boy. We tell him it's something, some silly name. We do the same thing with the girl. We tell her, this is your arm, your, this is your legs, but we don't say the word vagina. And, and the kids figure out, like, why do you tell me about all the other parts of me? But when you say that, you change the name and you feel, it feels like you're nervous. And you know what that says? This is dirty. Don't talk to me about this. This is shameful. And then we, want, and then we know what we do, because we don't know what we're doing. We send them off to school and protest that the school's teaching them what we don't want them to teach them, that all came about because they didn't learn at home. 
Are you following me? And I'm like, this is, our whole culture is like, I don't know what you think, but you know, we started this organization called Moral Revolution because I feel like we have something to say to the world that's positive. I, I, don't, I, you know, I know there's no's, I do understand that. But I don't think God is the cosmic killjoy. I don't think he's the cosmic no. One Sunday morning, I, this is many years ago, probably six years ago, I thought, well, I'll teach on sex on Sunday morning. And I took the Song of Solomon, and I just read chapter 8. I won't do it tonight, because we're streaming. <laughs> but you, I'm sure you'll all go home and read chapter 8 tonight. And I read chapter 8 to our congregation. I said, ah, okay, for our text today, let's turn to chapter 8. I didn't even tell them what I was talking about. And we were reading... And a bunch, most of the adults were like this. And I'm like, wow, everybody's nearsighted. And then I got, and I, all I did is I just read that and I said, um, did you see that was in the Bible? That's in the Bible. Do your kids know that's in the Bible? Because you don't seem to know it's in there. That God loves passion. That he created sexuality. That he celebrates sex and he goes, hey, this should be one of the greatest adventures you have in marriage. And let me tell you about it right here. And so I, I think that, you, can you feel the tension here already? It's because I said penis. If I would have said circumcision, you would have had no problem. Because I hid it under a big word. One of the most embarrassing moments in my youth group history was I was teaching on circumcision of the heart, of course. <laughs> You're like, wow, you got really real with your youth group. I was teaching on circumcision of the heart, and this 16-year-old girl, it was, it was about 100 kids in my house one night. No, it's probably, no, I'm exaggerating. There's probably 65 kids in my house one night, but place packed, you know, I'm, I don't have a very big house. And I'm, I'm, I'm sharing, I'm really being intense, Chris Overstreet kind of intense with my youth group. And this girl raises her hand, which is like, that's not what we do in youth group. We don't ask questions. But she raised her hand. Her name was Becky. So, uh, yeah, Becky, you know, she's a brand new believer. She goes, well, what does circumcision mean? <laughs> I go, well, I'll tell you later. She goes, oh, no, I want to know now. One of the girls leans over and goes, you don't want to know now. Trust me, you don't want to know now. She goes, I don't want to know now. I said, I'll just tell you right after the meeting. It was so cute. She's, then when I told her, she's like, <gasps> she was hyperventilating. I think it's important that we take sex and bring it into the light. Out of the shadows, into the light. And we start teaching. First of all, we need to teach parents how to teach this to their kids. Because when you don't know what you're doing, first of all, you're uncomfortable. Secondly, your parents probably did the same thing my parents did, trying to do good. Here, here read the book. If you have any questions, which means don't really ask me any questions because I am so embarrassed, I don't know, I'd die. And so... Um, Anyway, this is, I know this, this is going to sound like an infomercial now, but, oh, so I wrote these books, 
And we just last week finished this journal for a guy and a journal for a girl. And what we did is it's made to be done in 15 minutes because they have very short attention spans. And it takes you through how to manage your appetite, how to develop virtues, and what sex is about from God's perspective. And um, it's got, it's got um, little eight sections. It's got a little quote. Um, I think one of my favorite quotes is... Um, Mark Twain said this, you, you can't depend on your eyes when your imagination is out of focus. So there's a power quote every day. There's a statistic about sex or sexuality. There's a test to take every day, how you're doing managing your own sexuality. There's a real story, which is a testimony. We've got 80 of our students um, who had great testimonies about their sexuality, either losing their virginity and regaining it, or how they're managing it, whatever the topic is, and it's a real story, and it's really, and it's really well written. Spent $40,000 writing this, and two years. And, um, and this course, of course, it has a Bible verse, and it walks them through it, and they take a test, and every 10 days they add up their points, and at the end of 40 days they add up their points, and they see how they're doing. And then we, um, we did videos for every day. So they get on, they get on our website, and if they're on day one, so it goes, day, it goes 40 days, obviously. So if they're on day one, they click on day one, and there's someone for two minutes that takes them through what they're supposed to learn and encourages them, just day by day. So that you can take this with your kids, if you have kids, you can say, hey, we're going to do this journal together. You don't have to know what you're doing. You know what I'm saying? Like, you, you don't have to know what you're doing, and you got a journal. And in uh, one more month, two, uh, it's almost done, we'll have curriculum that you can take your kids through. And with youth groups, working with Tom and doing some stuff with them to make sure that it's, it's good stuff. But this is really good stuff. The guys and girls is different. The, the, um, and I, th- I think it's... Because what happened when we wrote the book is people said, well, this is really cool. How do I do it? Like, how do I, how do I manage my sexual appetite? You told me in here why I should, and you told me, but, and you, you told me that I should, but you didn't tell me how should I. And you didn't tell me how I manage it every day. And so, and then we're starting chat groups and people that help one another. Anyway, I, I want to give these away. Beth, can you give these away? So, girls and guys. Um, I, I need to be finished. I want to just finish with, would you read, can we read Proverbs chapter 31? Are you guys okay? Like you made it? Okay. Um, Proverbs 31, verse 1. I'm just going to read through it quickly and make a couple of comments and just pray for you. Proverbs 31. The words... Of King Lemuel, the oracles which his mother taught him. What, O son, O what, O son of my womb, O what, O son of my vows, do not give your strength to women or your ways to that which destroys kings. By the way, Lemuel means belonging to God, and almost every theologian believes that it was the nickname that Bathsheba gave Solomon. In other words, these, Proverbs 31, was Solomon repeating what Bathsheba taught him. 
And if you remember how Bathsheba and King David fell, you probably know why she now, why Proverbs 31 is so significant and why she told him, make sure you find a good wife because of all that she went through with David. And so she writes this. She tells him, you know, she's basically telling Solomon this. Listen, you're, fam- you're, you're, you're going to be famous. You're going to have money. And women are going to want you. Watch out. Be careful. Don't waste your strength chasing women. And then she tells him this in verse 4. It's not for kings, O Lemuel. It's not for kings to drink wine or for rulers to desire strong drink. For they drink and forget their decrees. And they pervert the rights of the afflicted. Strong drink. Give strong drink to him who's perishing and to wine for, to those whose life is bitter. So Bathsheba is teaching him that, all I'm trying to say is this, is that his mother is teaching him life skills. And she's saying, if you're you're a big drinker, when you become king, Solomon, you're going to forget your decrees. You won't remember them. It'll pervert your ways. And then then in verse 8, she says this, open your mouth for the mute and for the rights of, of the entire unfortunate. Open your mouth and judge righteously, righteously and defend the rights of the afflicted and the needy. And she teaches Solomon, when you become king, remember you'll be hanging out with rich people, but it's your job to remember the powerless. I love this, you know, your, your character is really tested when you, when you are faced with treating people who can do nothing about it how you treat people who can do nothing about it. Like, when you treat people bad and they have some retaliation, like the worst would be your boss. You treat your boss bad, he can fire you. You treat your wife bad, she can... Re- but when you treat somebody, a street person bad, they don't even have money for an attorney. They don't have money to defend themselves. You test your character. In other words, your character is tested when... When you, are, when you encounter somebody that can do nothing about how you treat them. Did that make any sense? And she says, King, you're going to be around rich people, but your job is to not forget the poor. And then she tells him this, what we, we, we love this, these famous verses. Verse 10. So this, is, this is Bathsheba talking to Solomon, an excellent wife who can find, for her worth is far above jewels. The heart of her husband trusts in her, and and he will have no lack of gain. She does him good and not evil all the days of her life. She looks for wool and flax and works with her hands in delight. She is like a merchant ship. She is like merchant ship. She brings her food from afar. She rises also while it's still night and gives food to her household and portion to her maidens. She considers a field and buys it. From her earnings, she plants a vineyard. She girds herself with strength and makes her arms strong. She senses her gain is good. Her lamp does not go out at night. She stretches out her hands to the distaff, and her hands grasp the spindle. She extends her hands to the poor, and she stretches out her hands to the needy. She's not afraid of the snow for her household, for all of her household is clothed in scarlet. She makes coverings for herself, and her clothing is fine linen and purple. Her husband is known in the gates when he sits among among the elders of the land. 
She makes linen garments and sells them and supplies belts to tradesmen. Strength and dignity are her clothing. She smiles at the future. She opens her mouth in wisdom, and the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. This is a woman in the Old Testament, and the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. I could be preaching right now, because I just wrote a book about women. And the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. She looks well to the ways of her household, and does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children rise up and bless her, her husband also. He praises her, saying, Many daughters have done nobly, but you have excelled them all. Listen to this. Solomon, charm is deceitful, and beauty is vain. But a woman who fears the Lord, she will be praised. Give her her product of her hands, and let her works praise her in the gates. I just want to finish with this. I, I love that Solomon is taught these principles by his mother. And she says, Solomon, when you get married, you don't look for a beauty queen. Okay, beauty is deceitful, she tells him. Listen, you're going to have all these women. They're all going to want to marry you. You're going to be rich. You're going to be famous. And, you know, you're going to have this... You're going you're gonna to have these groupies who all want to marry you. They all want your money. They all want your stuff. And she says to him, listen, beauty is deceitful. And, and it's vain. But a woman who fears the Lord, Solomon, look at me. This is the woman you want. She will do you good all the days of your life. And give her, I love this part, it says, give her the product of her hands and let her works praise her in the gates. Where's Solomon? He's in the gates. In other words, Solomon's saying, man, you should see the woman I got at home. I mean, this woman, she does business. She buys fields. She stays up at night. She's not a diva. I mean, I shouldn't have said that. <laughs> Is that a person or a... Okay, well, whatever. It's all right. I didn't mean it to insult anybody. I just mean she's not arrogant. She's not like, I'm a princess. Everybody needs to be serving me. Here I am. I'm the queen's wife. I'm the king's wife, okay? Okay? You servant, over here. I need some new clothes. No, she's like, she is making clothes for her family. She knows how to work. She has a vision for the future. And all I'm getting at is this, is this is Solomon's mom teaching him Find a woman like this. It was a woman who taught him this. I want to finish with this. I feel like this, this you know, we need to teach people about spiritual stuff. And, and I feel like we're doing a really good job with that. I, we could always do better, but I feel like we're doing a really good job about that. How to minister in the spirit, do signs and wonders and miracles. And I don't, I, I, Man, I love that as much as anybody. I don't want us to lose that. And, and I, don't, I don't mean we're not teaching this other stuff, so please, if, I, I'm not trying to be offensive, but I feel like there's an open door for us to teach the world to, to make disciples of nations, and it's not just about signs and wonders and miracles. It's also, Jesus talked a lot about, hey, watch out what you do with your eyes, what's going on in your heart. These are things Jesus taught too. He taught practical things to people also. And I believe that it's time. If I, can, I just I want to finish with this. I think that Lewiston was a training ground for me to learn that the world is starving for what we know. They just don't know what we know. All they know is the nose. 
They don't know who we know, and they don't know what, what he taught us to teach them. And I think if we had a thousand unbelievers in a room, and we taught them about sexuality, I, I understand we teach them more, but it just follow me for a minute, that they would be absolutely stunned at what the Bible says about it, what God thinks about it. And I think they would go, I like that better than what I'm learning on the porn site. Nobody told me this. Nobody told me this. And I have a feeling that the bride that the bride needs to start teaching what the bridegroom taught us to the people of God. And also to the world. And let me tell you, you know what, if you can't make it work in your house, you know, Paul said, listen, if you're going to be an elder, like, you got to make it work at home. I don't know if people try to make all kinds of stuff out of that. It's really simple. Like, if, if, you're, if you can't make it work at home, you have nothing to export, which is Bill's exhortation to us here about what we're doing at home in Bethel. Like, if we can't make it work at Bethel, we, have, we don't really have anything to say. I mean, philosophies, there's people with better philosophies. But if you can't make it work, what good is it? So you understand what I'm saying? It's like, practice this at home. Like, create a healthy culture. And, and in Jewish culture, I started, I started to tell you this, they didn't have a talk in Jewish culture. They didn't have a talk. They had a sexually healthy culture. So that, you'll probably remember this, it says three times in the Bible, the bride groom comes out of the bridal chamber. You know what the bridal chamber was? A wedding lasts a week. I'm sorry, I said I'd finish, but I'm going to finish with this. The, a wedding lasts a week. That's why Jesus made gallons of wine instead of quarts. <laughs> the wedding lasts a week. The bride and groom exchange vows. This was not an over-18 event. The bride and groom, after they exchanged vows, there was no celebration, no drinking, no dancing, no celebration. Are you with me? The bride and groom, they go into the bridal chamber. Most often, not always, the bridal chamber most often was a curtained room with a bed in it. Everyone waited outside. <laughs> I know, most ladies are like, uh, no, that, glad that changed. <laughs> they go into the bridal chamber and they consummate the marriage. Okay, they consummate the marriage. Are you following me? Well, everyone waits outside, no celebration. Okay, this is a normal Jewish wedding. Little kids there, all the way to old people, right? They take the sheet which should have blood on it. I won't, tell you, I won't get graphic, but it should have blood on it, and they throw it over the bridal chamber wall. That's the beginning of the celebration. Now the dancing, the singing, the drinking of the wine. Little Johnny sees the blood. What's he thinking? He's four. Wow, they got in a fight already. <laughs> Been in there half an hour, and they already got in a fight. And what I'm saying is this is that nobody had to have a talk with them because from the time they're little, there's no shame attached to sexuality. So they're giving age-appropriate answers to their children, and these, become talking, these weddings become talking points for their children. And their children learn that the celebration begins after they gave what they fought for for one another. So virginity is what's being celebrated. Are you with me? The exchange of their virginity is when the celebration starts and everyone's going, you did it, you made it, you gave yourself to one another, you kept yourself for one another, and they learn that 
not by a talk where Kathy runs out. <laughs> or where Jason goes, sick. But they grow up. Are you following me? In a, in a healthy sexual culture, because there's no shame, there's no shame on certain body parts or, or on, or, or on lovemaking because it's a part of the culture and you can't remember when you didn't know that because you were carried as a baby to the weddings all the way up to your teenage and adult years and it became something that was just a part of culture. So when they wrote Psalm, when they wrote Song of Solomon, it wasn't like, oh, dude, better only read this in certain places. We have to do that because nobody talks about it except for in the shadows. And so it's become shameful. Would you stand? I sorry, I tried my best to make it mild and still say something powerful. Um, can you bow your heads, please? Can you, can you, um, I don't know how we're going to do this, so sorry, didn't talk to the camera people. Please take the cameras off the audience, completely off the audience. Can you guys do that, please? Can you communicate that? I'm sorry, don't know. You got it? Okay, off the audience, please. Would you bow your heads, please? Close your eyes. Uh, I, I don't want to have a meeting like this and, and not have people, and have people walk away going, I lost my virginity, oh my God, no, I just heard this message, and you're like my, you know, you're, you're believers, or maybe you're not believers, but you, 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 got, you got with my, my probation friends, God, even, even though this was, you didn't hear the whole message, and it was, sh- this part, that part was short, but you're like, I lost my virginity, no one ever told me about this, and I, and I believe, I believe that God wants to restore your spirit, soul, and body, and by the way, I have at least a thousand testimonies of women who have written me or come, or come and talk to me, at least a thousand, and told me that God restored their hymen. They restored them physically. And I believe that nothing's impossible with God. So would you bow your head and close your eyes, and would you not look up, please? With your head staying bowed and the cameras off of you, if you want God to restore your your virginity because you lost your virginity and you want to be a born-again virgin, would you raise your hand, please? But don't look up. Just raise your hand because obviously I want, I want privacy for all, everyone else. Raise your hand if you want God to restore you and leave it up and just keep your eyes closed and keep your head down and there is nobody looking around, okay? I'm praying for you right now. Lord Jesus, I release right now, I, I release forgiveness. You said we can forgive sins. So these people are raising their hands and they're saying, I was wrong. I'm sorry, I repent, and God, I thank you that when we, you, when we repent, that you forgive us and you cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And I release righteousness right now into every single person who's got their hand raised, whether it's at home, in the overflow room, wherever, or maybe they'll listen to this later. Lord, in Jesus' name, I, and I, I release the restoration of virginity, spirit, soul, and body, for guys and for gals, in Jesus' name. And I break the power of soul ties, I break the power of soul ties. I don't care if you've had sex with 20 other people. Right now we restore you. We restore your soul. David said it this way, and God restores my soul. And so I release the restoration of your soul so that you can be whole. So you're not carrying around another person with you. You know when you have sex with someone, it's like, it's like gluing two pieces of board together, waiting for the glue to dry, and then pulling them apart. You understand that, right? It's, this is not just a physical act. 
You, when, you, when, you, when you pull apart like that, you rip a piece of each other's soul and it stays with you. And right now God's doing a miracle and he's restoring people's soul so that you can walk in wholeness and you're not carrying around a piece of somebody else who, who, whom you have no covenant with. And Lord, I release that over every single person in this room in Jesus' name. And I want to proclaim to you, you are forgiven, you are clean, and you have something to fight for in Jesus' name. Now go ahead and put your, hand, your hands down first. You can lift your head. And can we just celebrate what Jesus is doing in them, please? Thank you, Lord. Gabe, would you come, please? I've asked Gabe just to come and close and, and, um, and bless us. Hello, hello. As Chris was, as Chris was speaking, um, I'm sitting there listening, laughing like everybody else, and just realized I, I have four kids, and I have my two oldest ones are boys, and I have one boy that, uh, I mean, they're both amazing, but I have one boy, you know, if a song comes on the radio that's maybe suggestive, he says, Dad, change it. A commercial that maybe is inappropriate, maybe, not even inappropriate. Change it, Dad, we can't watch it. I have another boy who's like, what is that song? And why, why, why is that girl like that on there? What, what is that, Dad? You can't watch that yet. What is it? But I want to know what it is. And the other one's like, just pay attention. You can't watch it. But I want to know what it is. So as, as Chris was talking, and, he's, and tonight's message was amazing for parents as well. And, you know, I, I laugh when he said, Chris had circumcision. We we're all okay. And he said penis. And everybody's freaking out a little bit. Uh, but I want him to pray for parents because I, I think there's parents in here that the, the tension wasn't tension. Oh my gosh, Chris saying something bad. The tension was, was, do I really have to talk to my kids about that? You mean I can't just give them a book? And, and even though Chris has great resources, let me just tell you, the goal is not to hand your kid an amazing resource and say, read this book and do this curriculum. And if you have any questions, go to Bethel and talk to Chris <laughs> about that. The goal is for, for us as parents to, to the same way we're championing signs and wonders, the same way we're going after the kingdom in every, in every aspect. The goal is that we would see uh, this particular area, that we would see this uh, be in our lives in such a way that our kids don't have a problem with this, that, that this is a message for us and uh, potentially not a message for our grandkids because they don't need to hear it because we got it. So if you're a parent here and, and as you're listening to Chris, uh, you're either in a couple spots, you're, you're, I'm freaked out. I'm scared. I don't actually want to talk to my kids about this. I don't know if I can say the word penis to my kids without making a face or laughing or something. Uh, if you're in that spot, <laughs> yeah, or a pillow. <laughs> Put the bottle on the pillow. You need the pillow. Um, We're going to sell it, those in more revolution, more uh, revolution pillows. <laughs> I didn't think of it, but it's a good idea. Positive. So if you're in that spot, if you're like, hey, I'm scared, or you're in the spot of, yeah, I, I really want to do that, but I need wisdom. My, my parents never did this to me. I never had anybody in my life that taught me how to actually have a healthy conversation uh, with kids. I remember the, the first time anybody ever told me that about, about having a conversation with my kids, it was Bill. Bill handed me a book, and it was about sex, and it wasn't actually about sex, about give this book to your kids. It was a book for me about how to talk to my kids about sex, because I didn't know squat about how to do that, because it's never anything my parents actually did to me. They... They did what Chris said, and they sent me to, to school and made me take the class that somebody else could teach me about, about sex. 
And so I, I, I was in that boat. But if that's you in here, I want Chris to pray for you. Chris has a grace to release freedom in that area. So if you're a parent, just ra- raise your hand in here if you want this, but realize you're making a commitment to actually go after this in this place today. And I want Chris to pray for you. Yeah. Lord, we, we thank you that there is grace for this message right now, um, all over the world, really. And Lord, I, I pray right now that you would give parents great wisdom, youth pastors great wisdom, and how to walk our kids into a, self, uh, into a, a, a healthy sexual culture and, and do it with grace and wisdom and nobility. And nobility. This word keeps coming to me. Nobility. That we would teach them that, that healthy sexuality is part of being noble. It's part of being royal. And that we would restore the beauty of sex back to the planet. So that people would know a great God. Because you said everything that you created speaks of your wisdom, of your, of your attributes, and Lord, we just we pray right now that people would they would they would know a loving, good God because of the way that they understand sexuality. And Father, I pray for the parent for every parent here to have courage, to have wisdom. And Lord, I pray for them to I pray for the, that you remove shame. Um, you know, I have this sense that so many of us, um, you know, we just didn't do it right. You know, a lot of us, uh, most of us came up in a, in a moral culture, many of us did. And so for, for us to tell our kids about healthy sexual culture, we don't feel qualified because we didn't live that life before we got married. And so I just want to say to you, all you parents, like, Jesus forgives you and he cleanses you, and you're better than your worst day. And when he forgave you, he restored the standard in your life so that you can lead people past where you failed. And Lord, I just release that over every parent right now in Jesus' name. I pray that there would be good connections between parents. They would form groups to, to talk to their children. They would, they would um, get wisdom from books. And, 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 and they would be comfortable just really um, releasing their children from shame and into the purity and nobility of healthy sexuality in Jesus' name. Amen.